Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Today we've got a recording I did uh, down here in Texas in Austin. Uh, we're actually at the Cedar Park Center just before Hillsong United's Night of Worship they did, which was amazing. If you have a chance to go uh, check them out in person, uh, I assume you will not be disappointed because it was great uh, when I was there. And so uh, here's the conversation I did with Joel Houston. He is the leader of Hillsong United. He's also uh, a pastor, one of the founding pastors of Hillsong New York. And he, uh, he and Hillsong United have written a ton of songs that you'll recognize. Uh, Oceans, um, Touch the Sky, which is probably the pop- most popular one from the current album, All I Need Is You, uh, from Inside Out. Um, anyway, a bunch of stuff that he's, uh, he and the rest of his group has, have written have uh, made a huge impact on the world of Christianity and the songs that our churches sing these days. So um, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, a little bit of background. Paul Nevison, who has been on the podcast and is a uh, good friend of mine, uh, he's the one who hooked this up, and so we talk a little bit about Paul. And um, if you stay tuned to the show, you might hear some more from him in the future. Maybe. Anyway. Without further ado, here is uh, a conversation with Joel Houston down in Texas doing his thing in the Lone Star State. Can we use your headphones? Yeah, uh, let's do that. Whatever Which is good because Dr. Dre let me down. For real? I've ran out of batteries. He does. He's plugging right here, boss. Where's that music coming from? I don't know. I think it's. Where are you No, they're fine, dude. They're doing their. Where'd you guys eat? Where did we eat? Yeah. I actually went to an Irish uh, pub this morning and watched um, the football. I'm into English football. Uh-huh. Cool. Nice. I wish I had a voice like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have one either. Do you want me to talk to him and just tell him what we're calling? I don't think it'd be bad. Okay. If you're happy, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I ate there and then... Um... It'll be a nice background. Who is that? Do you know the guy, you know Rain Collective? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's them? Yeah, yeah okay. So. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then we, uh, we, we, where do we go? I ate some Mexican joint last night. Are your, is your sleep all jacked up when you're traveling like this? I don't know, my, my sleep's jacked up 20 all the time. Is it even really? Even when I'm not traveling, so it's, you know. Just another part of it? Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out, because you get, see, you come off stage, and then you've got all this adrenaline, and then you eat, and then you sit in the bus for three or four hours, wide awake. So While they're driving to the next spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it depends how long the drive is. You sleep until the bus stops, basically. How long is this tour? Uh, 12, 12 dates. Hmm. It's not bad, but we're doing three, we're doing three or four trips because we only travel for, like, three weeks at a time, so. Yeah. So um, I'm going to put a can you Hey, can you put a sign on that yeah. door just tell them or something like Thanks, brother. Um, otherwise, people are going to come in the whole time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so sense. we're doing, like, three or four runs, and, um, and, um, this is the first one. It's going good. Good. You yeah. enjoying it? Yeah. Have you been to Texas before? I have been to Texas many times. Been to Austin a few times. Yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law is actually living here at the moment, which is seriously. Yeah. What part? I actually have no idea. Thirty. He said thirty miles south of here, wherever that is. Your Your father-in-law lives here now. At the moment. He's not a Texan, though, is he? No, he's Brazilian. He 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 worked at the UN for uh, like 20, 25, 20 years. Uh huh. And then when you get sixty-two or something, they they just like automatically 
you have to resign. And, uh, and so then the next day they're like, you have to get out of America. So then his options were to go back to Brazil or uh, to keep studying. So he came down here, he's studying Chinese medicine so that he can stay in the country. Really? <laughs> yeah. How so, crazy. It is crazy. How long has he been down here? Um, yeah, six months. Six months? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, we could see him. Yeah. I moved here probably four or five months ago. Okay, where from? Uh, just Dallas. All right. So just up the road. Yeah. But uh, I married a girl who's from Cedar Park. I mean, she literally went to high school just no down way. the road from here, yeah. That's crazy. So I don't really have any options. I can't leave Austin. You, uh, never? No. But it's, a, it's an awesome town. I think it's like the only town I could imagine living in, you know, that's not on the ocean in America. Yes. But that's just... But you're a surfing guy, so there's some crazy news that might change your mind. They're building, like, the first, like, landlocked surfing park. Yeah. Like, the Coors yeah. beer people are making it down by the airport. For real? Yes. Like the Kelly Slater's type? Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like that. That's amazing. I don't know. That's true. Have you seen it in person? No, I've just seen I'm photos. seeing videos of it, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, it's going to change the game. They, that was part of the attraction of me moving to Austin because I thought, oh, that's going to be near where I live. But I don't really think it's You good. surf? I, wa- I want to. I used to live in the fl- in Florida in the Gulf, and so there's no o- there's no waves. But I did kite surfing. I've seen people surf on the ships, like the, on the waves Yo, yeah, from yeah, the yeah, ships yeah. that come into the bay. Yes. which I think is amazing. It's kind of crazy though. Yeah, a lot of sharks, little ones. Oh yeah. It's like more attacks there than anywhere else in the world. I mean, admittedly, people just kind of lose a limb or a finger, but it's not like as life threatening as say Australia. But yeah, because still, there's, there's no white. I think not, a shark's a shark. Anything that eats your flesh is gonna. It's kind of a, it ruins your day. My kite surfing instructor had a theory. He said, "I don't eat uh, seafood as a way to say I respect you, so respect me and don't eat me." All right. I don't know if that really holds up. It's like right? karma, right? I think so. Some version of that. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So you surf, but you're in New York, and so that really. Well, there's waves in New York. Do you? But it's. No, we, yeah, we get out. Do you really? Not this time of year, but in the in the. And yeah, it's really fun. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's actually really good. I didn't even know that when I moved there. I thought I was like making this great sacrifice, to which it up. was to give up something I loved to move to New York City. But um, I got there and evidently there's waves. And the first guy I met, I, I, I prayed to God before I left because I was like leaving a whole lot of friends, relationships. Yeah. And so I was like, well, God, just help me to make new friends quickly, like ones that feel like I've known them for life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first guy I met, He's absolutely out of his mind, creative guy, and uh, and he surfed, and we're best friends. He's on tour now, takes photos for us. It's Are awesome. you serious? Yeah. Wow. But you moved up with uh, Lentz, right? That's his name? Mm-hmm. And you guys knew each other for a long time. Yeah, he, he came down and did Bible college, like 2000, 2001 in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I felt sorry for him because he was so out of place. He just come straight out of, like, from Virginia yeah. into Australia, you know, and, uh, and I was like, he was a good dude, but I was like, we just connected, but we're completely different, um, and I think that's why we, we became great friends. Do you hoop? Yeah. Okay. Not very. I mean, you're not like I used to, but yeah, a little bit. But okay. For but an Australian, know. I play basketball. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> that's another one. Okay. Yeah. So you guys knew that, and you started the church. And were you married at the time? No, no, no. Where did you meet your wife? Was she up there? I met my wife in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's worked out well for you. It's worked out really well for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you came to the States, you met, a wife, you met your wife, mm-hmm. got a church thing going for you. I feel like uh, you, you owe a lot to the States. I do. I guess I do, yeah. You know, our mutual friend Paul, uh-huh. he likes to talk smack about the States. He does indeed. I it's an Australian like, thing. Is it really? It is, yeah, unfortunately. That's a, that's a shame. Do you think? 
No, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's just Australian. I, see, we, it's small man syndrome. That's the way I see it. And I'm an Australian. So, like, anyone, any Australians who would hear me say that would probably get upset. But um, it's okay. You, 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 I still feel the same way living in New York City. But you just now when I go back to Australia, I'm like, man, I can't believe we used to think all of this stuff. Some of it's not bad. It's just comes from living in an isolated island on the other side of the planet. Yeah. Well, he does text me pretty much after any ridiculous thing Trump says. Uh, so that is pretty much warranted. I, I think can't... I get the same text. Do you really? <laughs> probably. Yeah, you probably, you probably deserve that. Huh. Well, that's good, though. So, um, so you've been in Texas before. Tour's working out for you. Mm-hmm. New York's good for you. And uh, one of the things... I, I've got three daughters. You've got... One son. One son. He's two, two and a half. Two and a half. Yep. So I've got a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and almost a two-year-old. Awesome. A lot of kids. A lot and of girls. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of pink, yeah. like bows and stuff in my house. And when I was younger, I used to look at pastors who were, like, successful and, like, the, like the stereotypical worldly way of successful definition of, like, you know, on the stage of things and writing things. And now, like, my new definition of successful as a pastor is when your kids turn out as, like, healthy, well-adjusted right, adults. Yeah. And so you seem like you're a well-adjusted adult, so I look at your head and go... Hey, well done, Brian. Yeah, I don't well know. Done. Appearances can be deceiving. <laughs> That's a <laughs> but, good point. Yeah, but no, I think, I mean, I'm grateful for my parents, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, my brother, my sister, myself, we're all, you know, involved in in uh, ministry in one way or another and in, in different ways. And I think it's, you know, yeah. it's a testament to the way they kind of, I guess, they never put too much pressure on us. And I'm grateful really? for that now, especially as a dad, you know, you start to think about your own kids and the world they're going to grow up in and how, how do you just, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't see that when you're a kid growing up, you just kind of like, you just grow up and this is, this is what I've been given. This yeah. is the, this is the land we're in. And, um, but now I think I, I really, really appreciate the way I, my parents kind of raised us in that kind of environment. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you have to go in the family business? I never did. Mm-hmm. I still don't. So have you thought about ways that you're going to like replicate that for your kid? Um, yeah, I, I, well, I mean, not, I wouldn't say not with too much intent, but I definitely think about it, you know, yeah. but I, you know, my parents just, my parents backed me, whatever I did, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to play in a rock band when I was a kid and, you know, my dad gave us money to, to pay for our first recording, you know, like as a, as a birthday present. So it's like my brother, I mean, my brother, he was like 18 and he came home and told my dad that he wanted to start a truck business. He wanted to okay. own yeah. trucks, yeah. which is interesting. And, um, it's great. My dad said, yeah, okay, cool. If that's what you want to do, you know, I'll, I'll help you get it started. And, uh, you know, now my brother's pastoring a church and, you know, so I think, but you know, and my dad has said now, like years later, you know, like obviously when my brother came to him and yeah. said, this is like a truck company, you know, like he's thinking, <laughs> I don't know, like really? And, uh, but you know, he, he just backed us. He backed us and always said, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, I'm behind you. And, and that took all the pressure off that maybe came from out, outside influences that could have easily, you know, um, caused us to, to run. Uh, mm. Did you feel, I mean, obviously you're a pastor's kid, so you still felt like you're, I don't know if this is your experience, but most pastor kids say they feel like they grew up in a fishbowl and there's ex- extra expectations about how you're supposed to act and behave because, you know, mom and dad are the ones on the stage. Is that like, right? That's how you felt? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, if I look back at it, if I want to focus on those kind of things, I think for mm. sure I could have definitely felt that way. And, um, and you know, there's pe- people are people. So they're, they're well-meaning, I'm sure, but they say things to you, you know, the standard stuff when you're a kid, like um, that could easily, you know, 
especially when you're insecure and you're trying to figure out your own identity and all that kind of stuff, could have shaped me in a certain way. Yeah. But I'm really grateful because, well, one, my parents, too, I just had great youth leaders in my life, people who believed in me, mm-hmm. who were encouraging, who I think probably saw the danger signs and in a, a non, non kind of too protective way, just encouraged me into things. Yeah. I guess maybe to, to lead me away from certain things, which, you know, again, at the time you didn't, you didn't see. Surfing was one of those things, you know, like, so I had a youth pastor, you know, when I was 16, 17, and we're driving and going on camping trips and, you know, getting up to mischief, you know, um, they became interested in, um, in surfing and, you know, we would go on surfing trips together. So all of a sudden I was able to kind of like, yeah. you know, it's like a little thing. I don't think it was too intentional, but it's one of those things where it's like, uh, that's what community's for, I believe, and so yeah. I think I'm grateful for that. And um, so, yeah, if I wanted to, I could look back on it all, and you could pick and choose your moments, and and you can run with it any way you want. But um, the way I look at it now, I'm just really grateful for people in my life who actually just kept taking those layers off. Oh, that's cool. And obviously, you have people who are telling you, "Man, you're talented in music. This is something you should go into." I knew it wasn't like given to you in a silver platter, or silver platter, and it didn't start off that way. But obviously, that's where you ended up. Obviously, yeah. it's worked out well for you. Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone who was telling me I was talented at music. I'd, no one really? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. They'd, Dude, I had I a think... girlfriend give me a book about being tone deaf. It wasn't that bad. Like, you didn't right. get, like, tone deaf books from ex-girlfriends. No, no, if I had got tone deaf books, I probably would have taken the hint, hopefully. <laughs> um, no, but I, I stumbled into the music. I've always loved music, love creativity, love uh, the arts. Um, I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be an architect and... I, um, you know, love visual arts, wanted to do design and, uh, and film, love all that stuff. And that's how Paul and I, our mutual friend, became yeah. friends. Um, and music, obviously, was a big part of that. And I think um, we kind of stumbled into it from a sense of just for fun. We would just play music. Never kind of thought we could do that within the, the context of church, even though our church at the time was still, you know, they were making records and yeah. you know we were writing worship songs um, all the time but it, that was something for the older people yeah. and so we just loved music for music's sake and uh, my friends at school you know we'd spend our lunch times playing basketball or in the band room and that was it and, um, and somehow all these things kind of aligned and, and um, I get to do what I, I love and what I'm passionate about within the context of you know what I feel like we're here to build yeah. which is the church you know yeah so you're growing up you see Hillsong Worship or whatever the, the adult band is, you're in the youth band. Yeah. There's multiple like Hillsong, like there's Hillsong Worship, there's United, there's mm-hmm. Young and Free. Free. Yeah. Is it, do you guys ever like square off like in an Anchorman style Absol- battle that escalates quickly? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of fight, a lot of tension. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, I'd be lying if I said that, it, you know, I mean, honestly, we, it, we try as much uh, as possible to kind of, it's one team mm-hmm. and um, we all kind of, I think there's a really clear lane for everybody to kind of, um, you know, operate and kind of do it all together. Um, I think sometimes it comes down to, you know, like, for example, dates, because at the end of the day, we've still got to lead every weekend at church. Yeah. We've got to pastor our, our creatives at church or, you know, all the rest of it is all. So sometimes it comes down to like, well, there's an opportunity here to go on, you know, to, to be away. Mm-hmm. So you guys have to stay home, you know, like that kind of thing. So that, that, that's kind of where sometimes it, it gets a bit funny. But, um, you know, actually, I mean, it's a, it, it really is, um, I mean, you know, I don't use this term lightly. I, it's a bit of a miracle story when you think about the fact that there's so many people involved um, for so long and everybody is still kind of really 
um, focused on the same thing and, and, and connected within a desire to build um, the church at yeah. the end of the day and uh, empower people and, and give people something to sing. And, um, and you know, of course, there's, there's plenty of room for ego within it all, but uh, there's like a long story now of just people who get it. And, and um, you know, I, I, I speak about the guys who are here with us, you know, on tour, and a lot of these guys have been doing this for 15 years longer. Um, and there's just such an ease to everybody knowing their strengths, knowing their weaknesses, and being okay with that. Yeah. Um, as opposed to constantly trying to climb over the top of one another. And, and I think that's, um, I mean, to me, that's the real prize in all of this is the relationships, the journey, yeah. seeing people flourish within what they're good at and, uh, and being okay to let other people carry their weaknesses. Yeah. So I like that you said, or I liked how you said that your, your goal is still to build a church. Like that's where you're coming down to. And obviously your songs have done that for countless people, uh, countless worship leaders I've worked with are very grateful for the songs that you've written as they filled their set list with Hillsong songs. Right. So thank you for that. And one of my buddies was at the show you did in Memphis a couple nights ago, mm-hmm. and he said that you guys stopped, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, maybe it's like giving away a secret, but like you, you stopped and did Eucharist, communion, whatever you guys call it. And he was thinking, looking at that going, man, this, these are people who are really like church people. Like they're not mm-hmm. like rock stars because like who else stops a show to do communion? So... It, his read on that was that, like, th- these are church people mm. doing church things. Is that w- – what was your decision-making process that made you decide, hey, I want to put a communion part in that service or in that show? Um, well, I mean, to your point, I, th- we f- I feel like a church person. I'm a, you know, yeah, you're a I'm a, um, a reluctant pastor who loves it and doesn't want to do anything else. Um, and from day one, our desire has been to build – you know, our church locally, but I really believe in the potential of the church. I really believe that it's what uh, Jesus called it, and that um, it's that community and fellowship and worship and um, that all of those things are so important to us actually being able to kind of operate as the body of Christ or as the bride of Christ, however you want to see it. Um, especially in days like these and, and, and moving forward. And, you know, of course, within that, you know, I mean, there's just people are people and the, the world is a world and, and, you know, there's the good, the bad and the ugly. And, and the way I see it is it, it depends on how you want to see everything. You know, if you want to pick and choose all the moments and all the things that are, are wrong with the church, well, you're going to have more than enough reason to kind of feel, um, feel a little maybe disgruntled or jaded by it all. But... In the same breath, I kind of feel like uh, if this is what Jesus died for and, and this is um, what we're called to be doing, then that's got to be number one. And, and within that, within our church, you know, my role looks like this right now, which is traveling around and playing to, you know, uh, reasonably large audiences of people who come from all different kind of church backgrounds and, and, and whatnot, um, and it's like, what are we leaving them with? Like, what's the purpose of tonight? Yeah. Why are we here? And we can put on a great show, and I can be a rock star if you want me to, and uh, we can entertain people if that's what people want, um, and we can do a whole lot of things. But just coming into this tour, you know, my thing was I don't want to play to the same 
rooms with the same people and just do that for the rest of my life. Um, we need to be depositing something here, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully that's something that God's doing in us. And uh, So the communion thing was, it was really interesting because it was something that we'd never done before, but we came to the first night, and I was, I was thinking of the tour, and I, I said to the, the guys, I was like, oh, we should do communion tonight. Can you just organize something so that we can do communion? I don't care if it's Chick-fil-A or whatever. Um, and, and then I was thinking, well, why, why are we just having this moment to ourselves? Why don't we try and share this with everybody? And, and so we did it on the first night, and um, it was a really powerful moment. And so we've done it each night of the tour. And I think it's, to me, it's an opportunity to kind of personalize the entire experience and centralize it around the one thing we want people to take away from it. And uh, I feel like that's what the Eucharist is, is really about anyway. So it's, it's, it, it fits perfectly into this environment. Um, and we'll do it as long as it feels like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Nice. So I can do it tonight? I think so, yeah. You think so? Yeah. D- I said, the other night I said, because I don't, I don't want to just become like a redundant, like a sense of like, this is what we do. Because it's such a special thing and needs yeah. to feel special. So the other night I, I said, look, just be prepared for us not to do it. Because um, I don't want us to just go through the motions on this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and we got there and, and um, yeah, we did it. We'll probably do it tonight as well. Unless, nice. Unless I feel something other, otherwise, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so... Uh, your new album, you've got the song uh, "Touch the Skies." I'm terrible with titles. Yeah, right. So you I'm got, terrible with titles too. Are you really? Yeah. So I do like this thing where I interview like authors about books. That's my usual yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. and I always get the book title wrong. Like I can tell you all about the book, but I don't get, anyway. So, <laughs> so you got this line in there about uh, I touch the sky when my knees touch the ground, or something. Yeah, it something sounds a lot cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. My bad. Um, and so I'm listening to that, and it's like there's the the phrase like. Falling upward is that in there? Uh, Fall. It's upward falling. Upward falling. Yeah. Not to be not to be confused with Richard Rohr. Yeah. Look look at you, you know Richard Rohr. I love that guy. Yeah. So I'm hearing that, and it it sounds very Richard Rohrish. It sounds kind of mm-hmm. like Henry Nowen. Yeah. What like what were the influences? Am, am I guessing correctly in that? Yeah, Henry Nowen. Really? Definitely. Yeah, and uh, and it was interesting because um, when we started out the process of this record, I love starting with a clean slate. I don't like going into something to. Um, too organized. Oh, really? so like you don't want any ideas when you? I mean, I love ideas, but like I don't want to fabricate them just out of a sense of uh, this is what we should do. And okay. so um, I don't know. It's this. It's I can't explain it. And everybody who w- works with this hates it because it often leads to a, a much more uh, uh, a harder process uh-huh. often. But um, yeah, we came. You know, we. Zion, which was the record before that, for us was, um, it was, I don't know how to describe it, but we were ready to kind of, not give it up, but like I was going, I don't want to just keep doing this mm-hmm. if, just for the sake of doing it. There's a lot of other things to do. I've got a family now. I love New York City. Uh, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love our church. And, and then, you know, I'm thinking about things like everybody, a lot of our guys have got families and, yeah. and you know, there's lots to be involved with. Um, and so it was really a bit of a conversation with the guys to kind of go, look, you know, we're just going to just keep doing this because it's what we do, or is this something that we believe in? And uh, we did the record, and it was, an, you know, it was a hectic process. And on that record, there was a song called Oceans. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah, and there was a, the last... It was, that was, funnily enough, the first, the first song we wrote and the last song we finished. Um, and we nearly didn't put it on the record. And I just felt like... Um, the way God breathed on that, and I can't, you know, I could sit here for an hour and just talk to you about that one story, and it's, it's an amazing story, but 
Um, it just felt like God goes, I I'm still in this with you if you guys want to keep carrying it. Um, but it's going to cost you something, you know? Hmm. And so that, that, that ended up kind of just being like this sense of, it was like wind in our sails, I guess, um, to just keep going. So then we kind of came out of that, went into this new season, a new record, and I guess there's a lot more expectations now. And, uh, you know, uh, United, we, we never really had the support of, I suppose, um, the Christian uh, CCM kind of world. You know, Christian radio kind of just completely, we'd never had any kind of... Really? No, uh, no. Other people would do our songs and they'd go, well, but, but Hillsong really had no presence on, on Christian radio or anything like that, which I was completely fine with. To be honest, I, I quite enjoyed it. It always kind of been this organic thing that, you know, it's like a word of mouth, yeah. Hillsong. But, you know, it's, it's become something maybe bigger now. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like there's all these different expectations start falling on to what we're trying to do. And so we went into it and just said, look, I just want to start with a clean slate. I don't want to try and write another song like what people expect. Let's just, the, the key word for the whole record was just, let's just write an honest record. Yeah. And you would think that would be... Um, that would be the starting point maybe with every album you do. And I think, you know, I'm not saying it's not, but it just, it was like intentionally, let's just trust God with this one. Um, and so we, we got to the studio and we didn't have any songs. And, um, and Dylan, I'd been trying to write a song for our Hillsong worship record uh, around the Beatitudes. Yeah. And um, I've been talking about that. And he, Dylan's one of our guys, he's a guitarist and he lives in New York with me. And he goes, oh, I just read... Uh, this Henry Newman book, um, Selfless Way of Christ. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to read that for a long time. And so he gave it to me, and, you know, it's a nice little small book, which is good for me. And uh, I read it. <laughs> I read it, and it just made sense of everything that I guess I was feeling in my spirit and, um, and wanted to kind of put into a record. Um, and so when we sat down in the studio, we... I didn't have any songs, and so I said, well, let's just, like, let's start to read the Bible. And so we read uh, the Beatitudes, and we read the Sermon on the Mount, and I said, I feel like whatever it is that Jesus is trying to say in, in this moment is what this album needs to feel like and look like and, and say in its own way. And uh, the thing about the Beatitudes is, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've read those forever, and you can read it, you can read them a thousand times, but at some point, my prayer, you know, it grabs a hold of you and it change, you, you go, oh my goodness, I get it. <laughs> or at least I think I get, I'm seeing something different here. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a, a huge moment. At the same time, you know, then um, Paul was working, Paul, our mutual friend, uh, was working on, um, we do like a vision presentation for our church and, yeah. and he works with my dad a lot on that and, and um, some of the other great thinkers in our church and and, um, and he says, oh, you know, we're going to base this whole thing around the Beatitudes. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We just wrote a record about it. And, uh, and, and so Touch the Sky was the first song we wrote for the album. And just kind of in a simple kind of little way kind of described just the picture. Uh, if you were to try and put what the album was going to be into a word picture or an image, that was kind of how I saw it. That if, you know, we want to experience the fullness of heaven and God's kingdom and what really matters in life, it begins on our knees. Ah, oh, that's good. And that's such a good book. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an I, awesome book. It's a game changer. Yeah, yeah I, I reread it uh, last night or the other night, and like you said, it's like four pages, so it's not yeah. like it's that impressive. <laughs> but it's, 
like now and is always like pointing away from the big going to the small and mm-hmm. obviously you know of his career like he's this high level academic who's in the Ivy League he's no I'm going to leave this and uh, yeah. work at large in Toronto with you know, mentally handicapped people yeah. who in our world are typically seen as not the upper echelon of people yeah. and so he leaves that to go to he keeps going down like yeah. he's, he's upward falling to yeah. use your language and like that is seriously like the heart of Jesus is like Sermon on the Mount I think he wrapped mm. it up is it weird that a lot of people look at you and go, wait a minute, you guys are kind of like the upper echelon of yeah. this industry. And, okay, yeah. the first time I ever heard your, your buddy Lentz uh, on an interview, you know, people were asking him, like, well, you guys are so successful, and you guys are awesome, and what do you guys... And he kept, like, deflecting it. Like, mm. hey, we're not... And I, my, my first reaction was, this guy comes across as really humble. Mm. And then, like, on y- your album, like, you don't sing every song. And my buddy who was in Memphis last night or the other night said... You probably sang like twenty five percent, like you led. Is that about right? Like a fifth of the songs? Yeah, I mean, maybe it, less. I don't know. Yeah, which is not like the typical frontman kind of thing. Like mm. you're, it seems like you're pushing away from being the center of everything. Which you can't respond to that and say yes, I am, because then it kind of yeah contradicts what you're. Oh well, yes, I am. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I genuinely. Um, I feel like I don't deserve to be here. Why is that? Because, well, because I know myself and I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not great at. And I feel, um, I feel like God has this incredible ability to take all the things that you say you're not going to do and somehow in some divine manner of whatever, uh, you find yourself doing all of those very things. And when you do them, uh, call it obedience or call it, um, I don't know. It's like God breathes on um, not the outcome, although he does, but he just, to me, breathes on just the beauty of intimacy and relationship and understanding of grace, yeah. a revelation of grace. And, you know, I've been saying on these nights and it, it's true like I, I've been a Christian a long time I've grown up in church I've seen a lot and I feel like I'm just getting to know Jesus and I feel like I'm going to feel like that for the rest of eternity and I think that's a really healthy place to be and to me um, the idea of a broken spirit is just about utter dependence on God and if I don't have that, then I can't make sense of any of this. Mm-hmm. Because if it rests on my shoulders or on you know, the collective talent of what we bring, uh, it, God will still use it. And I'm sure it'll still bless people and it'll be great. But I'd rather just be at home with my family in New York. <laughs> you know, there's something about um, feeling completely terrified and yet just at peace and confident in what God is doing. And I need that to do this. Otherwise, it just, I think it, it just becomes soul destroying. I've been through seasons in my life where I've been there. Mm-hmm. And I went through a season about uh, it was maybe six, seven years ago now where I just felt that. I just felt, I just, I wanted to be anywhere but the platform. And, and I wanted to, I remember we were going on a, a tour of South America and it was a big deal you know like these would be the biggest stages that we ever maybe ever play on 
and I just, I was, man, I, maybe, I, maybe I just wasn't in a great place, like, I don't know, but I, I felt physically sick at the thought of getting on an airplane and standing before people and leading worship, and uh, I think I was maybe emotionally not in the best place, I think I'd just been doing it for a while, but I just, I, I didn't go, you know, two days beforehand, and, you know, I don't mind sharing the story now, but I, I um, I was with Carl, and we were walking along a beach in Australia, and I just broke down and started bawling my eyes out. He's like, what's wrong? Goes, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't know. I don't want to do anything. I don't, I don't want to go away. I don't want to get on, go on the stage. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do anything. I just, I just don't want to do anything. And he goes, we should talk to your dad. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we probably should. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just started a church <laughs> in New York. Yeah. And um, I just sat with my dad, and I just, I, I just told him, I said, look, I feel, I don't know what it is. I just feel empty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, well, don't go. It's good. And these guys just, they didn't ask any questions. They just said, look, Joel can't, Joel's not coming. He's, he's not feeling great. And they took it and did it. And what do you think that was in hindsight? In hindsight, I think it was... Um, it was God preparing me for something else. Mm. Maybe it's what we're doing now. I don't know. Yeah. I think I, I didn't feel comfortable in what we were doing then. I don't, I don't think I was taking it all for granted or anything, but I think there was definitely a, uh, there was probably a, a quiet rebellion somewhere under the surface of me sitting there for a long time that you, you naturally kind of want to um, cover up. Because you've got to, you've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to look the part and sound yeah. the part and have it all together. And so I think that was part of it. Um, I just think God was going, all right. Are you ready to be a husband? Are you ready to pastor a church? Are you ready to be a father? Are you ready to step into this next season of your life? You know, I was 20, 29 years of age, or 30, just turned thirty. And um, and so I, you know, I spent two months kind of just doing nothing. In which time I met my wife which was something kind of interesting timing. And, um, and then I lost my voice completely and I couldn't sing literally. And, uh, I went and sat, you know, at that time I was kind of running all the creative stuff. I guess I had this awesome title, which, you know, I whatever it was like creative director for Hillsong church globally, you know? And, um, and, you know, I guess I had, there was this pride in me that I've always been pretty good with like the, you know, the, kind of really clearly obvious voraciously kind of arrogant pride like that's something I I don't like and and when you feel that rise yeah. up you notice it and you deal with it you know yeah. but pride runs deep man and I think um there was probably this these deep deep layers of pride that I was completely oblivious to hmm. in me that I think God needed to dig up and it was this sense of if if something's going to be done I have to be involved in it and um and so it was like this it, from my point of view, it was a noble thing. It was like, man, I just want to serve God. I just want to build this. I want to do that. And so we got, we got around to a conference and, uh, you know, all these big creative moments. And, you know, I'd led worship on that platform for the last 10 years and all the videos and everything. That was like my hand was in those things. And, you know, that was me being a good steward in yeah. my mind and all the rest of it. I sat there in this conference, couldn't sing, couldn't talk. I had surgery, so I couldn't even talk. And uh, I got to just sit there for a week. And, and I'm looking at everything, and everything was better than it's ever been. And I had nothing to do with any of it. And I'm sitting there going, 
all right, I get it. And I felt like God said something to me and I've never forgotten it. And it's game changer. And he just said, um, I don't need you. I want you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, was, that, that was enough for me to go, all right, I don't deserve any of this. I get to be a part of it. Not because God needs me to do this, but because he wants me to. And if he wants me to, then I'll do it. And that's why we're still here. And so there's, there's, there's a big part of me that wants to Henry Nguyen it and run off and do something super noble. And, and, and I think for some people, that's what they have to do. I think, strangely, in, in my own way, you know, being in Austin, Texas and leading worship, it feels like the same thing to me. And, really? Um, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's for now. It might not be that way in 12 months' time or tomorrow. But, but right now, this feels like... M- for me, a moment of just um, stepping stepping into whatever God's put in our hands and being a steward of it and doing it in a way that really understands that we've got nothing without him. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's the only way I can reconcile all of it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, um, it's been the most exhilarating few years of my life because... There's just such a... I'm so grateful for everything, you know? Yeah. And, um, yes. and I know there's a lot of people who are grateful for the way God has worked you through you in this season. Uh, six years ago, one of my uh, best friend's sister, who was 31, a mom uh, of a young daughter, wife uh, at the time, <clears throat> came down with pneumonia, and she ran like a 5K like the, the Saturday before, and then she went to the ICU, and then like 19 days later, she passed away. And my buddy who's a pastor... Um, says that your music is what got him through that. And every time he goes to her grave, he still listens to three of the songs that oh. had come out right around then six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so y- your music has somehow done something in the life of one of my mm-hmm. good friends that uh, uh, I couldn't explain and couldn't say thank you to, to, to you in a way that did justice for what it did for him. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I know it's got to be. I, I can only imagine how humbling you know, that's got to be. Um, and for him, it was like the message of like death does not have the final word and, and you know, resurrection and hope in your music. That was uh, what he needed to hear. Yeah. Right. And so that's obviously a clear theme. Right. Which clear theme of what yeah. you do. Um, one of the things that's always tough as a pastor is like putting together a service where there's like lament, mm-hmm. like a uh, like a Good Friday service. We describe like you yeah. know, the absence of God, like the Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken mm-hmm. me? Why do you think that's so hard to grasp, like, in our current, like, church's hymnody, like, the music that we have right now? How come we have a whole lot of the praise stuff, but, like, the lament, how come that's, that's hard? Well, I think, all right, as a pastor, you want people to be encouraged. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, to me, I find that stuff encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it takes process, and it, it takes having walked through something in order to be able to to know that and to be comfortable with it and to have, um, yeah, just a sense that, uh, that the brokenness is a really beautiful opportunity for God yeah. to work. Um, and so I think when you are shepherding people and, uh, you know, as, as a pastor or even as a worship leader, you know, we love the up, you know, like mm-hmm. we want people to feel great about things, you know? Um, and so I think that's, that's something that, if that exists, you know, as you say, and I think it does uh, in a lot of places, um, and it has 
certainly in our world for a long time. Um, I think it, it's well-meaning and it's not, I don't think it has to, a lot of people write it off and just kind of, you know, call it happy, clappy Christianity or whatever and just or however you want to talk about it. And I think, yeah, there's sides of it where that's true. I think there's also a side of it too where people need that sometimes, you know, like, you know, I, it's funny because, um, and, you know, Joel Osteen, for example, you know, I know, there's, you know, some people just absolutely are reviled by his message or the way he communicates the gospel. Um, and yet, I was in New York City and I was sitting in a hotel lobby and just meeting with somebody and Joel Osteen walked into the foyer and, uh, and that lobby, uh, you know, it's full of people, mm-hmm. celebrities, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I've, you know, you, you see people come and go. I've never seen people um, flock to somebody and say thank you and tell stories similar to the one you just told to me about my song. Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating to me because God just works through people. And sometimes we, we view everyone and everything else through our own perspective and if we're doing that, we're doing the very thing that we criticize about other people. And so I think there's room for all of it. It doesn't mean that any of it's perfect or any of it's like great. It doesn't mean that there's not things, you know, things that we need to deal with and address and change. Yeah. But man, like God, God's working. That's how he wants. He wants to work through people. And all of us are in the same boat. We're all Peters. Yeah. And we're all called rocks now how you unless you view it through the un- revelation of, of just god's nature of paradox it's impossible to reconcile in any person doing anything for god whether it's the quietest most noble thing in the middle you know in the backwoods of africa or if it's someone who's standing on television i mean it's beyond us and that's the mystery of god that's the madness of it all that's the the scandal of grace that's everything and so for me it's like uh I think there is definitely a job to be done. As a songwriter, there's a responsibility to be putting uh, the word and to be putting words into people's mouths and to be using the beauty of art and melody and the mystery of all of that to connect the the soul to heaven. Um, But it's not my job to, to control the outcome. It's my job just to steward the gift. And I think... Um, if I get intentional about, well, I need to write songs of lament or I need to write songs of, you know, jubilation or whatever it might be, that's okay. But what I've learned and what I said before when I was saying I feel like the job is just to write on a song, yeah. if, if it's not oceans, it doesn't matter. If, if, if it's one person that I never know was affected by this song, if, it, if it's honest, hmm. then that's job done. And, um, and so I think as long as, as leaders, pastors, writers... Um, worship leaders I think it begins and ends on our knees humility and surrender that's our job and and then like a willingness to me that see a lot of people will say like surrender or humility it, it, if it's real then it, it, it leads to some kind of passive action mm-hmm. and I think the opposite I think humility and surrender should drive us passionately into whatever it is that God's called us to do with a sense of, I don't care if people don't get it. This is what God's called me to do. And so I'm going to operate out of this. And at the end of the day, the only measure on that is our heart. And that's God's business, you know, Hmm. and the fruit will, you know, 
the fruit will be the fruit. But even there, God takes um, some pretty bad fruit and turns it into something pretty beautiful too. So yeah. I don't know, man. That's just my journey on it all. And I feel like, um, I feel like at the end of the day, um, you know, God's working it and he's breathing on it. And, you know, with the record that we made and with these nights, it's like our job's to build a ship, the best one we can. And if God says build a boat, I'm going to build him the best boat I can. I hope it looks great and I hope the sails are great. But at the end of the day, he's got to breathe on it. And, and um, otherwise, we're just going to be like frantically rowing and just getting sweaty and yeah. tired and looking frustrated. And I think that's, that's uh, the whole striving thing is the, the opposite of, of what God's grace should breathe through us. And that's what honesty looks like. You're not striving. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to yeah. be something you're not. Sometimes I try. Sometimes I try. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's I I I've talked um, about it before because people often ask a similar question, um, and just uh, again about like the paradox of the platform mm-hmm. and this whole concept of drawing attention to yourself to draw it away from yourself mm-hmm. and uh, trying trying to be a man of God without becoming a god to men. Yeah. And so I think that's like this thing where it's it's how does that look? Because sometimes it means stepping back and sometimes it means stepping out. We've got this B stage on this, you know, like says so like there's a stage and then there's like this goes out to this stage that's further out into the crowd. Okay. And so the first night of tour, I didn't use it one time because it just felt so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like because you yeah. go out there and everyone starts, you, one, you can see people's faces and they're looking at you, you know, and yeah. you're like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> And, and then, you know, it just, it just felt very awkward. And, uh, you know, a couple of the guys who have been w- working on the tour, just from a creative point of view, were like, hey, man, you've got to go out there. Just, you know, like, it feels great, you know? I'm like, yeah, I know, but it just feels like I, I, when I go out there, I just go, I want to go home, you know? <laughs> like, and, um, and they said, yeah, but it doesn't, you've got to understand, like, it's not about, they said this to me, it's, that, it's not about you, Joel. <laughs> it's about the people at the back and just pulling them in. And I'm like, yeah, ex- you're exactly right, you know. And so then there's this moment on night two where it's like, all right, this is a very, like, reverent, powerful moment. I don't think I need to go out there. I'm very comfortable. I'm already under lights at the front of this giant auditorium, you know, with my arms in the air. Um, but I was like, no, just, I'll just do it. And it felt so unnatural. Um, but yet, it was true. Like, true, you went out there and you felt the place lift. yeah. And it was like, okay, all right. Now, I can make it about myself, and it can look exactly the same, and most people wouldn't know. But that healthy sense of, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm going to do it because it might just engage somebody who's, you know, feels disconnected for whatever reason. There's a million reasons why people feel disconnected Mm -hmm. to a moment where God's able to work. And so that's like, that's the thing you feel all the time in the midst of it. And where does that begin and end? You know, is, is too many lights too much? Is, uh, is a, too big of a crowd too many? Is, mm-hmm. is uh, too, the way we dress too much? Uh, or you, I think it exists whether you're in a, you know, wearing religious garb and, you know, mm-hmm. you have a piano and everything's very, very reverent. I think the same spirit can exist there, which mm-hmm. is making it about us. Yeah. As the bagpipes start to play, I like that. That's a nice. That's a, yeah, that's nice. Okay, so we'll get out on this since the bagpipes are. Oh, there they go. Okay, here's an important question. Uh, Paul said that uh, you know I texted him the other day, and he's the he's, apostle or our friend. Uh, both, yeah. but I'll just talk about the one with Nevison. Yeah. 
whatever. I've never even met the guy in person. I text him probably like five times a week. Never talked to him. You know, person. he used to be a worship leader. He d he did. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Random. Random. Okay. So he said that what won you over to the podcast was a gif that I sent when I said, hey, the podcast is not going to happen. And I sent a Taylor Swift gif of her crying. True or false, that really happened? Uh, that really happened. Okay, good. Yeah. It didn't actually win me over. I just, I thought it was happening. So I just... It oh, just, you just... Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was no part of me that was like, I'm not going to do it. It's for some reason, <laughs> the breakdown of communication caused you to send a, a gif of Taylor Swift crying Cry. to Paul Neverson, mm -hmm. who then forwarded it to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, it was like, no, it's definitely happening. I feel like Taylor Swift is pretty much my answer to a lot of things. Yeah, well, she's, you know, um, how do you describe Taylor Swift? Amazing. Yeah. She, uh, so there's some people at my at new church, and there's some changes that are going on. And uh, there are a few people who aren't exactly thrilled by the changes that are going on. And so I've tried, like, how do I respond to this? And then I thought, whatever Taylor says to Kanye is what I need to do. And so she is my... Uh, our, our, my, my role model for dealing with criticism. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll see her through a different light, and if it works for me too, I'll take that on as well. <laughs> Why not? I think it's a great idea. Dude, thanks for the time. No, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah appreciate, appreciate it. Mate. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>